Um, I will make an announcement. So uh, Lent begins this week, and it begins with Ash Wednesday. It's a 40-day period that leads up to uh, Resurrection Sunday. And um, typically, and I will do it again this year, I put a a little 20-minute thing on our podcast, kind of an introduction to Lent and and Ash Wednesday. Uh, I'm not going to recycle it again, so I'm going to try to re-record it. And so it should be up Wednesday. So I'd like to let you do that and and hear the story of Lent, because Lent itself is not specifically described in the Bible, but it is a practice that uh, a lot of Western Christian um, denominations, uh, organized denominations participate in. It's certainly a period of preparation. Kind of think of Advent as preparation for Christmas and Lent as a preparation for Easter. And there's a couple pillars of it, and I kind of talk about that briefly. So, um, you know, I, we don't have snow, and I'm actually glad about that. But did you, have you ever heard the saying that the Inuit people have 50 different words to describe snow? Have you ever heard that? The Eskimos have 50 words to describe snow. I, before I decided to include this reference, I, I thought it would be wise to see if it's true or just a, an urban legend. And so here's what I found. I found that in 2013, an anthropologist conducted research in the vocabulary of about 10 Inuit and Yupik dialects, and he claimed that there were over 50 words to describe the winter Arctic conditions. He also discovered that they had about a 70 words for ice. And then he, I even found that the Sami people who are in the tips of Scandinavian Russia have 180 words for snow and ice. I don't know if they're bad words or what, but um, they also had 1,000 words for reindeer. I thought that was incredibly strange. Um, but, but we're seeing some things that, that a lot of languages, you know, the parts of the, their surroundings, the world, their daily life, they get really intricate to talk about the details of those things. Um, you know, we, we might have words like snow and hail and sleet. So we have 12 words. But experts claim that the reason some cultures have so many words for one thing is because language naturally evolves over time to focus on the most important aspects of life. So if you are surrounded by snow, you live in an environment like that where it determines how you get out and when you get out and all this, um, you're going to have words for it because it's a crucial part of your existence. So today we're not going to talk about snow. We're going to talk about love. We have Valentine's Day on Wednesday, but we're also into the season of love when, when God sent his son and it comes the culmination of the sacrifice on the cross and ultimately his resurrection. And, and love is a profound and it's really a multidimensional concept. And it's a term that we tend to use rather loosely. We profess our love for ice cream. We'd love it if the Chiefs won the Super Bowl or the 49ers. Um, we love our family and friends, and we love our spouse. I was going to ask everyone to kind of rank those types of love, but I don't know, the elbows on the ribs, that's probably not a way we want to start our, our service. But the English language also has many sim- synonyms for the word love. But the original Greek language of the New Testament certainly captures the true meanings and types of love we experience and should aspire with others. Now, we don't use these words in our everyday language, but we're going to dive into these four words to help us identify aspects of love as it's intended. You know, to them, to the Greeks, love is not just a single unvarying emotion, but a spectrum of feelings, each with its own unique facet and significance. And the Greeks identified four specific types of love, each with its own dedicated word. And each one forms our, our understanding. It enriches it in our expression, especially within the biblical context, which is how we're going to look at it. 
Now we know Valentine's Day is approaching on Wednesday. And it's a time marked by society's own celebration and definition and, and commercialization of love. In contrast, the original Greek language expresses it not as a hierarchy, but kind of a segregation. There's different types of love, and each one offering a unique insight into love's overall true essence. So as we delve into these, we're going to seek the wisdom from the Bible. And I hope you'll be able to open yourself to the message as we seek to comprehend the practice of appropriate types of love in our daily lives. Now, I've spoken on this before, and I've heard it spoken on before, and, and we tend to do it from a bottom up. Like, this is like base love. These are our friends, and, and we work our way all the way up to, to the best love, right? But if it's not truly a hierarchy, you know, even when we do that, we intentionally send the message other types of love aren't as important, and that's not true. Just other types of love are appropriate in other situations. And, and we mistakenly think that there's a progression that my, I love my neighbor as a friend, as a brother, and at some point I'm going to work my way up through the other ones. And, and agape love, which we'll talk about, unconditional love, is the desired trait. But that does not mean that there we'll talk about romantic love, that that applies in every relationship. But agape love, it's the kind of love... It is unconditional, agape, A-G-A-P-E. It's selfless, it's sacrificial, it's unconditional, and it's the kind of love that God shows you. And it's so beautifully illustrated in, in John three sixteen. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And it goes on to verse 17. It says, for God did not send his, him, his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, this quality of love stands in pretty good contrast to the conditional love we frequently think of with Valentine's Day, right? This is my boyfriend. This is my girlfriend. We're in a great place. You know, I love you because you love me. Uh, you know, we, we don't think about that way, but there's some, some conditions we put on love, right? But the parable of the Good Samaritan found in Luke 10, 25, 37, it exemplifies agape kind of love. We know it. A Samaritan helps a wounded man without expecting anything in return. Completely unconditional. He could cross the societal boundaries, right? Saying this is someone that, that you know, our groups, our, our theology, our ideology don't usually line up. And, and he overlooks that and, and his own religious bias. He goes, there is someone in need. I'm going to love them and make sure they're taken care of. So this story challenges us to extend love beyond our comfort zones and prejudices. We talked about comfort zones a lot last week. We need to embody Christ's teaching as what he said in Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine. 39. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And of course, the question was asked, who do you think your neighbor is? Your neighbor is everyone, everyone. And it says, don't, don't miss it. It says, as yourself. Now, whether you say that in meaning the same way as you love yourself or at the same time, God tells you, Jesus tells you, love yourself. Don't forget that you are someone of value and worth. Love yourself unconditionally as well. And agape is often described as the highest form of love. It's, it's the love God has for us and the love he expects us to share with others. Agape is not based on our merits, our actions. It's, it's a deliberate choice. I choose to love you. A commitment to cherish and value another regardless of their response or behavior. I don't love you because you love me back. I don't love you and I hope you love me back. I just, I choose to love you. God chooses to love you because of who you are. You are his child and not because of what you do or don't do. 
Agape love is given. It's not taken. I can't demand that kind of love. You can't. And it's offered by, by God, but you can't accept it. So how can we put agape kind of love in our daily lives? It means extending love and kindness to those who may not deserve it. And I say that in my little air quotes because we are not the ones who say who deserves or doesn't deserve love. Society isn't the ones who should be saying who does and doesn't deserve love, but that's what's happening. So when I say that, I'm saying it means extending love and kindness to those who may not deserve it. It means extending love and kindness, period. It involves acts of generosity and compassion towards someone in need and showing patience and forgiveness, maybe with someone that seems a little difficult. And all these things were reflecting God's love in our daily interactions. That is agape love. The next is eros, romantic love. Romantic love is called eros. It's a root of words like erotic. It is often misconstrued to mean mere physical attraction. But in reality, it's, it's a deep, it's a romantic love within the sanctity of marriage. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husband, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You know, we read this verse and it reveals the depth and sacrificial nature that should characterize our romantic love in a Christian marriage. Likewise, the Song of Solomon celebrates Eros in a pure and sacred union. I won't read a lot from from. Song of Solomon is also called um, Song of Songs. It's one that I don't know why. It's just not preached a lot. But it's a poetic dialogue celebrating romantic love and desire between a bride and a groom. Okay? It's often interpreted allegorically to symbolize the love between God and Israel or Christ and the church. And it's vivid, it's passionate, and it depicts beauty, intimacy, and desire inherent in a committed love relationship. Okay? The Song of Solomon celebrates this kind of love within the sanctity of marriage, depicting the beauty and purity of romantic love. And it serves as a reminder that, that eros, this kind of love, when expressed in, in line with God's design, is not only permissible, but fitting and holy. It's the love we, we think we associate with Valentine's Day. However, in contrast with the commercial depictions of romantic love associated with Valentine's Day, Eros in a biblical context is about deep commitment and sacrificial love. In a world where this kind of romantic physical attraction is, is distorted, how can we uphold its sanctity? Well, it means nurturing our romantic relationships. Not just caring for the person, but caring for that relationship and protecting it with respect and integrity and faithfulness. It involves planning meaningful experiences with our, our spouse or our partner that, that go beyond just gifts, but, but do things that truly connect you with each other. And these things reflect God's design for love through actions, not just words. It requires a commitment to purity and mutual respect and, and placing God at the center of our romantic relationships. That's why it's so important, that part of our vows, where people do a, a cord of three or light a unity candle or, you know, I, I talk about uh, the three pillars, uh, the three legs of a good marriage, about sometimes you have to lean a little harder on one of those others. God must be a part of your marriage for it to be healthy and good and appropriate. It's just so much harder without him. It's plenty hard anyway. But it is so important to have God as a part of your marriage. And I tell you, sometimes, you know, you'll, I'll do a, a, a wedding and they'll say, we don't want a churchy wedding. <clears throat> Well, guess what? You know, it sounds like I might be the only one inviting God, but I'm bringing him, you know, and, and I do it respectfully. But, but it is so important to include God in your relationships. 
The next is philia. This is brotherly love. And I think it's ironic. You know, we think of philia, Philadelphia, right? But we heard this yesterday. I verified it on the, on the way this morning. Philadelphia is ranked the rudest city. Did you know that? Ironic. I've been there. <laughs> Do you, would you agree? Never mind. I don't know if anybody listens to Philadelphia for here. But <laughs> yeah, so it's... Philly. May I just say, have yes. you ever seen brothers? Yeah. They're not exactly the most loving. <laughs> yes, that's, that's true. Some brothers are, yes. Brotherly love is, can kind of be a little roughhousing, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. But this, this, is, this brotherly love, this is the third kind, right? It's the love found in a deep, genuine friendship as well. It's not just familial love. Brotherly is, is your friends, your brother. And it, it's vital to have these kind of loving relationships with people that you respect and trust. And, and I think the world has fallen a little bit in this period where, where all of our friend and brother and sister reaction interactions tend to be more digital, right? We text, we email. We might even be doing this with more frequency than we used to see people. But I find that we sometimes count our connections as friends but we're not truly connecting with our friends. I think this is so important. And I think we've developed some really bad habits or broke some really good habits uh, with COVID. I think it is so important and vital to have a personal connection. Philia is a love found in deep friendship and is characterized by loyalty and equality and mutual respect. These are healthy, these are healthy signs of a relationship. And Jesus speaks of this kind of love in John 15, 13. He says, greater love has no one than this, that somebody laid down his life for their friends. Now, think about this. You might have a whole bunch of people that you're connected to on LinkedIn or FaceTime. And if you said, I'm having a bad day, you'll probably get a lot of awe, you know, and genuinely, you might even say, my car is broken. You might even get someone to come get you. But if you said, hey, need someone to give up their life for me, what kind of response would you get, right? That's, that's not the test. Don't do it. You'll get hotline. Um, but I'm saying the kind of love we're supposed to have for others is like, I value you as much as I value me. I love you. I, re- I respect for you. You know, I see us as equals in, in God's eyes. And, and that's the kind of friendship God is calling us to have. Listen to this account from 1 Samuel 18, 1 through 3. This is David. He's in, in Solomon's courts. Um, I'm sorry, Saul's courts. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. And he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. So here's, here's David, and he's, you know, being know, in hell. But he's definitely restrained a little bit by Saul. But Jonathan has come alongside him, and he's, and he's it's his friend. And Jonathan says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. This is philia, a relationship marked by loyalty and selfless devotion to another person. In the early church's example, it was Acts 2, 42 through 47. It showed a community of believers sharing life and authentic fellowship. Today, it seems like maybe we've, we've developed some isolated individualistic tendencies. But in the early years of the church, it was a time when believers shared everything they had. They worshiped together. They supported each other. And we talked about this over the last few Sundays. This communal selfless, selfless love is what Jesus envisioned for his followers then and for us yet still today. So how do we cultivate philia, brotherly love in the church and in our communities? It means making an effort to engage in real, meaningful, face-to-face interactions. It can involve reconnecting with an old friend, sharing a meal, providing a listening ear. 
It's about building and maintaining relationships that provide mutual support and genuine care. And things like this begin with openness, spending time together and a willingness to support each other in times of need and in celebration. I've been meeting with the same kind of group of guys and we've gotten as big as five and down to two of us for a while. And in the first year that we got together every Tuesday, we were really pretty superficial. It takes a while to get that level of trust where you can say, I'm really struggling with this. I really messed up or I'm really embarrassed. Or I really don't know what to do. It took a while. And that's the kind of brotherly love that God is calling us. And you will find some satisfaction in that. There is a need that you have for human interaction that God put in there that he expects you to have. And, and you will find peace in that. And, and this is not to replace your marriage. Believe me, it is not. But having good, trusted friends is healthy. It's good. The last is storge. S-T-O-R-G-E. This is family love. Family love is called story. It's the natural connection and affection between family members, parents and children and siblings. It too is increasingly overshadowed, right? As we become very individualized. I, you know, in the house I grew up when it doesn't matter what you were doing, but at 630 you were at the dinner table, regardless of the meal. Um, so it was really important that we got together at 630. You know, I, the Bible places great emphasis on family relationships, if you look at Ephesians 6, 1, the, Paul advises this. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He says, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And the promise is this. It says, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. I think this next one is the first one my kids memorized to use back on me. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Okay. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Right, There is some real biblical instructions and commandments on how we're supposed to act as a family. Treating of our spouse, treating of our children, children, treating their parents. And we're not off the hook once our kids are out of the house or, or our parents, we're out of our, from our parents' roof. For the words, just to treat and respect our family members. There is a Greek word for the kind of love that this is. It's about nurturing and teaching right? and caring within our family unit. We need to reflect God's love and care for us because we are his children, as are our children. This type of love is about accepting and enduring bonds. We, we may not agree with the choices our children make or our parents make, but this is a different, different kind of bond that says, I love you because you are my child. This is where God's love also comes in. I love you because you are my child. Not happy with you, don't agree with you. I'm not delighting in you right now, but I love you. Storge is exemplified in the family relationships portrayed in, in Scripture. We'll see it often throughout the Bible. The tender care of Ruth for Naomi. That was this week's uh, Scripture to remember that, um, that was read. It's from Ruth 1, 16 through 17. You know, she said, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. I will be with you. And the father's compassionate response to his prodigal son from Luke 15, 20 through 24. These are Storge love. You, you asked for your, your inheritance, you went off, you blew it, and you came back. I love you. You're my son. I'm so glad you're here. These relationships are marked by acceptance and forgiveness and a deep bond that, that endures through trials, even when we're the ones that create the trials in them. So how can we strengthen our family with this storge kind of love? It's talking about dedicating time and effort to our family relationships. Again, just like we do our, our friends, right? You've got to be together. 
This means organizing family activities and engaging in heartfelt conversations that aren't just family meetings, but, but meaningful conversations. And this gets easier as our kids become adults and we can have adult-like conversations. Showing appreciation, showing forgiveness. It's about creating a family environment where love and support are paramount. You know, when, when I started meeting with these guys, we, we had these accountability questions. And there are accountability questions for families. Have we spent quality time together as a family? Have we done things that have built each other up? You know, there are questions that, that are accountability questions because sometimes the answer is, ooh, no, but I should have. We often think that, you know, we're responsible for raising our children until they can get up and go on their own, but, but our kids rely on us still. Do. And, and our parents have the same instruction for us. And, and we have care and respect to show for them. And all this, it takes effort. It requires patience. It takes a lot of patience when they're really young. It takes just as much patience when they're older. Understanding, intentional efforts to spend quality time together. And, and fostering a loving and supportive environment. I don't want to get anyone in trouble for messing up Valentine's Day. Um, so go, go do your romantic, loving, and traditional things that you're inspired to do for the one you love. Absolutely, okay? But let me challenge you to go one step further with that person, with your Valentine, with others, right? When it comes to agape love, unconditional love, identify someone in your life or community who needs unconditional love, okay? It could be a family member. It could be a difficult coworker. It could even be a stranger, Find a way this week to show them kindness and love without expecting anything in return. It'll blow them away. It's about loving as God loves you, selflessly and unconditionally. If you're in a romantic relationship, take time this week to express your love in a way that honors God. Plan a special moment with your spouse or partner that, that strengthens your bond. For those not in a romantic relationship, reflect on how you can prepare your heart to express this in a way that aligns with God's teachings. Brotherly love, reach out to a friend this week. It could be someone you haven't spoken to in a while. Do something meaningful, something personal, something in person. Share a meal, have a conversation, or simply let them know you're there for them. Remember, Philly is about building and maintaining deep, meaningful friendships. It's not about the number of people you know, but how you know them. And last, spend time with your family. This could involve a family dinner, a game night. We started doing these game nights in the last year or two. They're funny. It's a little silly. Have a heart-to-heart talk. There's a time and place for that as well. Show appreciation. Offer forgiveness if you need to. And strengthen the bond of your familial love. Remember, this is the foundation of our family's first experience of love, and it shapes our children's understanding of love in in their lives. How did mom and dad do it? I want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. How did they do their family? I want to be like that, or no, I want to do better. And that's okay. Let's get back to the basics. And all these things, they're different ways of looking at the same word love. These ways of love are based on biblical principles, and they help us to love better to love deeper and with honesty and with perseverance because it takes perseverance to love. As you think about these different kinds of love, try to apply them in your life, showing the love that Christ has given you. Act as conduits of his love and and watch the power that it has in the lives around you. 
as you love someone that may not have felt love or, or felt an unconditional love or felt a deep connection with someone in a long time. It is life-changing, and it will be for you. So as you go forth this week, I, I hope that God's love continues to surround you. I know it will. And that the peace of God, Christ will guide you, and, and you'll be in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Because I want you to be filled with this kind of love that's intended for you, so it just overflows into those around you. So those who may not have heard this story before or understand why there is an unconditional love or what a healthy romantic love or family love looks like, that maybe they'll get a taste of it and want more. Let's make that our prayer. Heavenly Father, as we prepare for this week, there's so much going on you know, culturally that we've got the big game tonight, but maybe that's an opportunity to connect with family and friends. Lord, we have, you know, Ash Wednesday um, on, you know, as we start off the Lenten season, as we prepare for that. Valentine's Day, uh, you know, uh, just a holiday for love. What a good reminder of the depth of true love that we can love ice cream and we can love our football team and we can love our family and friends, but we want to do it right. We want people to not just know their love, but to feel their loved. And Lord, we're supposed to love others as ourselves. Let us remember that we are people of value, of worth. We are your children. That that miraculous, gracious gift of love on the cross and the emptying tomb, the promises made to each one of us, what an awesome showing of love that is. And you did that for us knowing where we've been, what we've said, what we've done, what we're doing, what we're going to do. That is our model for love. Heavenly Father, let us be that kind of salt and light and love to the world. In your son's name we pray. Amen.